So as it turns out, BlackRock, a shadow bank financial institution, is effectively a global corporation that is pretty much controlling the entire world. My name is Matthew Spazzitti, and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazzitti Program, where we talk about financial freedom and economics, and where I keep you informed of things that are going on in our world, you know, reading articles, and ultimately trying to get you guys to live the liberty lifestyle. That's what we talk about a lot on the show. You know, it's 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 something I'm, I'm trying to, to push forth as this idea that if you believe in liberty, and you are a liberty-loving individual, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are a conservative or libertarian you could be you could be whatever whatever political affiliation you want to ascribe to yourself granted I think that the vast majority of liberty loving individuals would be considered you know Republicans or or, um, no I I shouldn't say Republicans (laughs) conservatives right conservatives you know libertarians people of that nature but hey there are people on the left side who kind of a more left center who also like liberty as well I mean who doesn't like liberty when you ask them that question question. But when it really comes down to it, there are people who love liberty and are willing to stand up for liberty, and there are people who say they love liberty, but when push comes to shove, they don't stand up for it whatsoever. So, if you are one of the people who stands up for liberty, who genuinely loves it, and you don't, and you are principled, deeply principled individual, then I believe that you should be living the liberty lifestyle. Now, what is that? The liberty lifestyle is one where we are independent from as many people as we possibly can. And what well, I should say people, from as many institutions, we should be independent in the sense that we control the source of our income. So we're not dependent on employers. So we're not dependent on the government for, for you know, with regards to giving us, uh, you know, stimulus checks or the, chi- the ch- child tax credit or whatever the heck they're calling. Basically, you know, universal basic income for kids, right? And, you know, ultimately... We should be trying to be as independent as possible. Maybe we invest in solar panels or some kind of form of energy where we have more control over so that we're not dependent on the power grid and on the electrical companies, things of that nature, right? You know, I'm not trying to say you have to go in and I'm not trying to say I'm a huge believer in solar panels. They're very inefficient. They're very expensive. And the vast majority of time, they're not going to, uh, they're not going to net you a a return. Let's say that, you know, um, they're just, they're not cheap enough. And frankly, if you are are in concern about environmentalism, they're not really all that healthy for the environment at all. In fact, they're quite toxic in the production phase and in the disposal phase. If those things were to get damaged, they could cause issues. At least uh, this is what I've heard. Now, I don't know 100%, but granted, I'm not trying to say that you're a terrible person for putting it up there on your house. Hey, I have no issue with that. If you think that solar energy is great, then go for it. All I'm saying is that it's so expensive, you're not really going to be making any real 
you know, progress. You're not going to be cutting your bill enough in order to make things work. It's just too expensive. But as time goes on, they get more efficient. They get cheaper. You know, they just all around, they get better. And, you know, but there are other ways of producing energy outside of solar panels. They're just one of the ones that everybody thinks about. There's fuel cells, right? You could get a natural gas fuel cell. Now, granted, there I don't think there's a lot of companies out there that are actually doing that in the U.S. I know in Japan, there were a few. I don't, I don't know what the industry of, you know, fuel cell technology looks like, but I, I personally, I really like fuel cell technology. I think it's really cool and interesting stuff. And there's lots of different types of fuel cells and, and whatnot. It's just, it's really, really, really cool stuff. In my most humble opinion, fuel cell technology for cars would have is, and I'm not trying to say hydrogen fuel cell technology. Okay. You could have done natural gas fuel cell technology. There's lots, again, there's others of hydrogen is very difficult to transport and to use. But in the end, fuel cell technology, in my most humble opinion, is better than the, the electric cars that we have out today. Now, granted, am I an expert? No. I'm not. I'm just an enthusiast who likes to read a lot, and I binge read all the time. Now, <laughs> anyways, that being said, though, ladies and gentlemen, the Liberty Lifestyle is one where you are as independent as possible, right? It's impossible to be com- completely independent. As we have, if you know anything about economics, you know about the division of labor, and you know that ultimately the reason that we don't try to do everything that is necessary for humans to live, a human does not try to do everything he needs in order to live or, or she or whoever, you know, the reason that they don't do that is because, well, it takes a lot of time. It would be better for them to focus on something they're really, really good at and let other people focus on the other things that they're not so good at, right? And so that they can ultimately, in a way, they can outsource the other stuff that they're not as efficient in and they can focus on the things that, that, that gives them passion or that ultimately they're just more efficient and more skilled on. Because of that, knowledge of the division of labor, we know that when we, when it comes to, you know, trying to be as independent as possible, there is a limitation to that. We're going to need to rely on our neighbors. We're going to need to rely on our friends and family, on our community, right? We can't be reliant on, or we can't be independent on everything. It's just not possible. So, I mean, but the idea of the Liberty Lifestyle is to try to be as independent as you possibly can and then forming communities of like-minded individuals who all love liberty and are not just talking about liberty. You know, I, I hate, I really hate that. People who talk about liberty and then do nothing about it. They don't do anything. Are you really a liberty-loving individual if all you do is you're just a keyboard warrior and you get on Facebook or, you know, Twitter or or gab.com or parlor and you just spout off all this stuff about liberty and you're an idiot, you're a statist, you're a bootlicker, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. I mean, come on, man. You just, you're just a keyboard warrior. You've got nothing going for you, right? I don't, I don't like that. I don't like people that are like that. I want the idea of the liberty lifestyle is again becoming independent and then creating community of people who are re- who really want to preserve liberty in their life so much so that they don't just research and don't take action they don't just you know get out on social media and blast everybody with their hateful words no what they do is they take action they do research they understand they get the knowledge and then they take action because they they care enough about liberty 
to try and pursue liberty in their own life and to create more and more liberty for themselves. You see, when it comes to Christianity, all right, I'm a Christian, right? I, I've never, I've never shied away from mentioning that. It's a very core, it's it's a core belief that I have. It's a, it, it's who I am, right? It's very much part of my identity. And you know, when it comes to Christianity, there's lots of people that that criticize Christians and say, "Well, this Christian wasn't really a good person. They did all these kind of bad things." And you know, so as a result of that, I hate Christianity. They're all hypocrites, right? They take the action of one or a few. And they apply it to all, right? Which is never, it's not a good idea to do that. I know it's, it's, it, it's hard for us not to do. We all tend to do this a lot, right? But unfortunately, you know, I mean, we all tend to take the actions of a few and apply it to a mass group of people. You know, we, we do this all the time criminals, stuff like that, you know, when a, an individual like a, a black person commits a crime and you hear about it all the time on the news, you start to get the impression that the vast majority of black people that are out there are criminals, or at least they tend towards that, right? But is that really true? Well, no, there's plenty of great and wonderful people in the black community that are not criminals. They're nowhere near it. They don't support that stuff. They just want to live their life out freely like everybody else. They want to live a life of peace, of prosperity, right? Now, I'm not, so is it true, is it an okay thing to take a, a, what the actions of a few, right? And, and look, I mean, I say it's a few. Let, let's be honest. Um, after a while of hearing the news about criminals, uh, you know, committing crimes, shooting people, stabbing people, whatever, theft, murder, all that kind of stuff, when you hear about it, and it's always seems to be the same group of people over and over and over again, it is very difficult to, to, you know, untie your mind from it. But the truth is, is we need to try and not to take the actions of the, the few, I guess, and apply it to, you know, generically to everyone in that group. It's It's not something we should be doing. And I know it's... It's so hard to do when the media banters you, when, when you, when all that kind of stuff. It, it's hard, but we gotta try. All right. Otherwise, it closes off our minds to entire groups of people when there are genuinely good people. Even if the look, let's assume, and, that, and I'm not talking about uh, you know black people or anything else in this particular uh, instance right now. But even if we were to assume that an entire group of people, it, most of them are bad. Okay, whatever group that is, let's assume that that is true. There will still all be, we still shouldn't apply the, 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 that rule of where we, we apply it generically to everyone. Look, we shouldn't close ourselves off from the group because there will always be good people in those groups. If you close yourself off from the entire groups of individuals that are out there, you're gonna, you, you, you're missing out on the good people. The people that could literally provide a lot of value to your life. They could be great friends, great allies. So don't close yourself off to them and try not to, you know, be, try not to generalize groups, okay, as much as we possibly can. And it's, you know, I mean, it's easy to do this. It was socialists, communists, left-wing progressives, right? Woke people. It's, 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 it's easy to do it, isn't it? It's not just something that, that happens with, with race. It happens in all aspects of life. Non-Christians, Christians, we should try to avoid that. But you hear it all the time. Okay, back to what I was saying before. We, you hear it all the time where Christians are like, or where non-Christians, they're like, oh my gosh, 
a Christian did this and it was terrible. I hate all Christians. Or, you know, uh, some Christian friends of mine or people that I knew in a church were terrible. So they, they were terrible to me. I saw some pretty shady stuff or crappy stuff. So now I hate Christianity. I hate the church. I don't want to go to a church ever again. Look, just because you're a Christian doesn't make you a good person. Just because it's a church doesn't make it a good, an actual good church. Okay? Now, that being said, so you see this in Christi with Christianity all the time. You see this type of thing all the time. But the same thing exists with the liberty lifestyle. There's lots of people who will say, I'm for liberty. But in the end, in the end they're more like a cafeteria Christian. They just come and sit there in the back. They don't really practice it in their daily life. Right? They don't practice it at all. So are they really Christian? God says you will know my children by the fruits of their labor, by how they behave, by how they live their life, by the fruits that they give off in their life. Well, the same is true for liberty-loving individuals. If you are a true liberty lover, and I, I kind of dislike the term liberty-loving individuals, it's, it's overused, I admit, but you get the idea, right? If you are someone who truly believes in it, you will start to show that in your life. You will start to take action towards it. You will give off fruit in that area that will make it obvious that you truly desire liberty in your life. And whatever that may look like, looks different for a lot of people, right? For me, it's controlling the source of my income so that I'm not dependent on an employer I'm not having to worry about financial crises that are coming around, you know, jobs going under, stuff like that. I'm not having to worry about corporations mandating vaccines because I don't work for a corporation. I work for me and me only. So that's one of the areas that I like to focus on. I know there's lots of people who they get into the whole prepping lifestyle. I, I don't like prepping. I'm not a prepper. But there are people who like to be more independent, you know, having their own farm. If they have some uh, a decent amount of land, they've got their own farm. They've got maybe they raise livestock. You know, even if you're not a prepper, you can still do that stuff, right? And now you're not fully dependent on farmers that operate through grocery stores right? You're not dependent on the corporate, the corporate farmer. Now you can be, you can grow your own food, right? Now, obviously there's a lot of stuff involved in that, that many people don't want to do. I mean, how many people really want to chop the head off a chicken, pluck the chicken of the feathers, deal with all the disgusting blood and everything involved, and then cook the chicken? It's, it, it literally, if, if you go down that, that path, that is your life. You, you, you buy a plot of land and you start living a subsistence lifestyle right? Um, maybe you can sell some of the, the product of your labor and whatnot, but still in the end, you won't have time for much else. Living a life like that is, and denying the division of labor and, and economics will mean that, that you are busy doing absolutely everything, everything that you need to survive. That's what, you, that's what you have to do. You got to prepare the food. You got to grow the food. You've got to, you know, help the animals grow. And then you got to slaughter the animals for your food. You got to do a whole host of stuff. It's a massive amount of work. It is a full-time job. But again, living the Liberty lifestyle is going to look different for different people. Okay. Some of you like me, I don't get into the prepping. I don't get into, you know, doing my own farming and having livestock. But if I know somebody in my community that does, and they're willing to sell excess amount of food and stuff to me, hey, I'm, I might be more willing to buy from them. 
You know, I don't have to buy from it. And that means I'm a little less dependent on the grocery store because I'm, I'm not buying as much from the grocery store. I'm now buying from my friend who does this stuff. They're a local farmer. I, it's like I'm buying directly from the local farmer. That's cool, right? Isn't that like chic? To some people, it might. I don't know. I don't, I don't get that much into it. But you, you get the idea. All right. You get the idea. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Liberty Lifestyle. Now, I know we got off on a tangent there, all right? But that's what the show is is about. Keeping you informed of economics, encouraging you to engage in financial freedom, and ultimately living the Liberty Lifestyle, okay? We all have different ways of focusing on it. Like I said, I like, you know, financial freedom. I like uh, currency, you know, Forex trading, currency trading, where you trade currencies around the world. I like options trading, cryptocurrency trading, you know, stock trading. You could do straight stocks or uh, futures trading, right? Future con- futures contracts, okay? However you want to do it. That's how ultimately... There's a million and one ways. That's the type of stuff that I focus on here at the show. That's really the purpose of the show is to push forth the idea of the liberty lifestyle, to push forth the idea of Austrian economics, of free markets, right? And to ultimately just try to help you shift your mind and your thoughts towards those ideas and those goals. I think the more people we get on board with that stuff, the better off we the better off we're going to be ultimately i uh, th- that that's my opinion so anyways but today we're going to talk about blackrock so i don't know if you guys remember a little ways back uh, i think it was last year you know the federal reserve basically came out and stated that they were going to start giving money to blackrock they're going to print money they're going to give it to blackrock so blackrock can ultimately go into the mar- the markets the bond market in particular and start buying bonds in mass right so they so literally the Federal Reserve is subsidizing the bond market now. Now, they've been doing stuff like this for a while. They were doing this with stocks. They were uh, doing it with a proxy when it came to the stock market. They were Now, they were never open about it, but they were giving money to an investment firm, and that firm was investing its money into stocks and stuff. So while the Federal Reserve does not have legal authority to do it directly, they're doing it indirectly with, via a proxy with these financial you know, shadow banking firms. And it's been something the Federal Reserve has been doing for quite some time. But the amount of money is uh, that they're doing this with is now unprecedented. They're not even, you know, trying to be secretive about it. They're, they're doing it openly, admitting it, and they're operating with a, I don't know if they've ever operated with a company with regards to buying bonds. I don't know if that's unprecedented. It's the first time I heard about it. So, but anyways, who is BlackRock? Like, we, we never really have ever looked into it. Sure, I could have tell, told you, just by knowing the information that I reported on last year, that BlackRock was probably going to be a pretty corrupt company. They're being, sub, they're, they're being paid by the government to inject money into the economy. And, you know, they're, if, and there's got to be a massive financial incentive for them to do that, right? They're probably getting paid billions or maybe even millions of dollars to do that. They're... Being subsidized by the government, when you're subsidized by the government, usually it causes the company to become very large, un, you know, larger than it what it would normally in a free market where they have to actually deal with competition. And it typically can cause that corporation to become very large, very powerful, and very corrupt. And in this case, BlackRock is. Now, I didn't realize to the extent of it, but I ran across an article on LouRockwell.com that was posted originally on William 
William Engdahl, I think his name is, .com. It's, uh, I'm not even sure who this guy is exactly. It says that he's a strategic risk consultant and a lecturer. He holds a degree in politics from Princeton University and is a best-selling author on oil and geopolitics exclusively for the online magazine New Eastern Outlook. So I don't really know who this guy is, okay? So take that for, so take this article for what it's worth. But it was on LouRockwell.com. I know who Lou Rockwell is, right? He's an ANCAP, very popular ANCAP. He's got the his own podcast, The Lou Rockwell Show. And ultimately, whenever I've heard him talk, whenever I've heard him write stuff or read his stuff, he's a good guy. Seems like he's a pretty good guy. So, now I'm not trying to say that everybody that he allows to post on his, his uh, blog is good. I'm just saying that he himself seems like a pretty good, nice, trustworthy man. But anyways, with that said, F. William Engdahl wrote an article on uh, June 18th, 2021, that there is more to BlackRock than you might imagine. It was a pretty decently uh, sized article, I might admit. So I, I'm going to give you the link to both the Lou Rockwell article, which is a bit of a shortened version, and to actual William Engdahl's uh, website in this in the article on his website. So you actually get the whole thing. We are going to be reading today from his website because there's some interesting stuff here about just just a whole host of things the world economic forum and the great reset you know mexico you know all kinds of influence that the fed you know basically politics the the biden administration right and i've heard and this isn't the first time that i've heard this information which is why this information really caught my eye because i've actually heard it from other podcasts that i've been taught that i've been listening to and and from other mentors that i have in my life that they've mentioned that suspicious things from blackrock like blackrock going in and buying entire neighborhoods of cheap relatively inexpensive homes like first starter homes buying entire neighborhoods and they're just going to sit on them and rent them out that's scary, ladies and gentlemen. That is incredibly scary. The idea that a corporation, a big behemoth, massive corporation, would go out there and buy an entire neighborhood, that's, isn't that on the same lines as what, you know, basically the World Economic Forum wanted? No ownership of anything? That's as scary as, like, say, Volvo coming out and toying around with the idea of not actually selling cars anymore, but being a company, a car company that only leases cars. They don't sell. Again, corporations that do this, this is how the government and the World Economic Forum is intended to be implemented. Not through government action, that is part of it, but through corporate action, corporate decisions. Libertarians will support it because, hey, it's your own private property. But what happens when they start taking away the ability for you to buy private property. And what happens when they lobby with government to kill off all the competition that would allow you to actually own private property? What do, I mean, that's wrong. It's evil. It is socialism. It's communism. You know, I think, if, if I remember correctly, there was a, a, a really, really good quote by uh, Stalin, of all people, you know, mass murderer of the world, you know, one of them at least. But there was a really, really good quote. I'm trying to see if I can, um, if I can remember what it was. It had something to do with capitalists and basically making the rope that's going to hang them. So actually, okay, uh, give me one minute here. Let me see if I look it up. Okay, so it wasn't actually Stalin. It was Vladimir Lenin and his famous quip that capitalists will gladly manufacture the rope to hang them with. 
All right. That's what the quote was that he, that capitalists will become very uncapitalistic in a way. They'll create the very rope that destroys them entirely. Remember what I've always said, right? Not the Nazis loved big corporations. Communists love big corporations. Socialists, which is what the Nazis were. The Nazis were socialists. Is a national worker is a socialist. The National Socialist Workers Party. Something something to that effect. Now I know that you know Hitler himself was a fascist, and his and the the system was fascist, but they were socialists. Fascism was merely just the the form that socialism took. Socialism was effectively the the theory that was on paper. Fascism was actually that theory attempting to be put into practice. But they all loved big corporations. They worked with big corporations to accomplish their goals. Right? If it wasn't for the cooperation of big corporations then they never would have been able to achieve what they were able to achieve. If if all businesses in the entire country shut them down and said no because they were principled people about liberty and loving liberty, right? If they were truly principled and they shut them down and say they said no, then, you know, ultimately they would have had to shut all business down and try to do it all, all on their own and never would have gotten where it was. But you see... The, the socialists, the communists, they, the, the authoritarian dictators decided that, hey, we don't have to create the industry. There's, we, let's just give a massive advantage to one or two companies in the industry. And then we all we, and allow them to become big. And because they depend on us to maintain that advantage, they'll do whatever we want them to do. Now we control them because we control their success in the markets. And if we don't want them to be successful anymore, all we got to do is shut them down. All we got to do is take away their privileges or at least threaten to do that. And then we might even be able to put our own people into these companies and they'll do whatever we want. You see, they loved big corporations, used them all the time. Despite their rhetoric of hating corporate, you know, hating capitalism and hating, you know, corporations and stuff. No, 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 no. They actually like big corporations. And what are big corporations ultimately? Big corporations are, are a form of government, right? They have the use of force. They are a form of government. They may not have the monopolistic use of force within a, you know, particular geographical location, but they are still a form of government, aren't they? I view them as I view them as such. Right? I mean, literally, they can force their employees to do a lot of things that would be considered unethical. And corporations get away with it all the time. They can even force people outside of the company to do things that they want. Like uh okay, Volvo. Right? They can't force people to buy Volvos. And if all Volvo does is go to a leasing only company, which I don't know if they're still pursuing. I would imagine that they were or that they still are. Well, I, I would imagine that, I don't know, maybe there is some demand for that. And if it's only one company doing it, that's not scary at all. The implication, however, is that everyone else will watch what happens to Volvo. And if other corporations that love this idea of owning whatever they produce and having full control over their vehicles and, their, and all that kind of stuff, and they don't want their customers to have any control over, over their stuff at all. What if every car company went that route? What if it wasn't legally mandated? 
right? Let's get back to the whole BlackRock thing, all right? BlackRock is buying up entire neighborhoods so that they can basically rent and take away the ability for you to own it. Isn't that scary? What happens if that were to happen with every neighborhood? Or at least, let's say it only happens with the poor neighborhoods and the rich and the wealthy neighborhoods, uh, they can't do it because they're too expensive and that, that just they're not interested in doing that. The rich and the wealthy can own their own properties. Everyone else has to rent from BlackRock or some other fi- massive financial institution. Thereby taking away the ability, the ownership of anything. Now, look, I'm a, I, I like renting personally. I like renting over owning. In most cases, that's how I feel. However, okay, however, comma, if you have the ability to own outright, to buy a house in cash, I'm much more in favor of that than renting. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that, and I'm not going to get on a huge, huge tangent here, but the fact of the matter is, is that renting, or, or, or I'm sorry, owning, if you own a house, if you have a mortgage, you don't really own the house. We talk about it as owning. Most people refer to it as owning. But what happens if you stop making the payment? Well, the owner of the debt against the home gets to take the home back. The lender gets to take the home back. Oh, they may not necessarily be the lender because debt oftentimes gets sold to a lot of people. And in our case, that happened. Like literally right when we worked with a particular financial company that created the mortgage and then immediately sold it off to another company, offloaded its risk, made its money, offloaded the risk to somebody else. And as far as I'm aware, the company they offloaded it to was not a subsidiary of theirs. It was a different company. Now, that happens all the time, right? But again, the owner of the debt owns the property, not you. You see, when people are owning homes or when they're buying homes, they're just renting it from a financial institution. And guess what? They're the worst kind of landlords because they don't fix the property. They don't fix the property one little bit. They don't care about the prop. They care about it to some extent, but they're not going to fix it up. They're not going to fix the AC unit when it goes out. No, that's your, that's your responsibility. You see, so many people think of buying homes and owning the home, but if you get a mortgage, you're not a homeowner. Despite what everyone wants you to believe, despite what the real estate industry wants you to believe, despite what the country wants you to believe, you're not a homeowner. You're merely a renter and just, but you have a crappy landlord who doesn't maintenance the property. That's how I really feel about the subject. I'm all for owning homes, but that means you own it outright. There is no debt against the house. You own it entire in its entirety in perpetuity for forever or as, as long as you want to live there indefinitely. You own it, and no one can take that away except for maybe the state because technically we rent our our, our homes from the state, right? We pay taxes to them, and if you take away taxes, they could put liens on your property. I don't know if they can kick you out of the home. I'm sure if it goes bad enough, they probably can unless there's a law or that's actually adhered to that prevents that from happening. I don't know, but if we are in effect already in, in a way in a world where we don't own property, 
right? If you're paying property taxes, try stop paying them and see what happens. Again, you're renting it from the state at that point. You don't truly own the property. Now, it gives the system that we have today, while technically speaking, we already are in, a, in an area where at least when it comes to real estate, we don't own the property. Okay, whether you're paying a loan back to a financial institution, whether you're paying taxes to a a state government, right, your city, whatever, we don't really own the property. However, there is this illusion that we do. It is the illusion that ultimately creates the economy that that economy and ultimately does it allows people to not get dissatisfied and upset because if you were to be open about taking ownership away from people there might be a group of people and maybe even bigger than today than ever was that would be more than happy with that because they screw everything up in their life they don't want to make decisions in their life they want somebody else to make decisions for them or at least that's what they think in the end it's not true, even for those people that think that way. The truth is that they don't really want someone to control every aspect of their life. They really do want a certain sense of control, but they don't see it that way. And they're willing to give up absolute control to somebody else until they realize that's a bad deal. But there may be some people who think that it's okay and they're more than happy with it. But there are going to be people who reject it outright, right from the get-go. This will create instability in the system and ultimately will make the system unsustainable forever. And of course, authoritarian measures, violence might even be used to enforce it. We're talking about a, a, a dystopian society. It's very scary stuff. But anyways, BlackRock, uh, back to that. I mean, got on another tangent. Goodness. Good night of mercy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I get off on these tangents way too often. I, it's, it's, it's fun to talk about, right? I mean, it's fun to talk about. It's scary when you think about what we're talking about. It's scary stuff. Uh, but anyways, look, BlackRock is in the process of buying up lots of different neighborhoods in entire, you know, all, whole neighborhoods, hundreds and hundreds of homes. I don't think that they should be allowed to do that. Not within one whole neighborhood. I, I, I don't know. In some ways, when corporations are allowed to behave in a particular manner, I don't know if adding more law would be the appropriate solution to preventing them from doing it. Could be. Or taking away their advantage in the marketplace that allows them to become very large, I think, would be the most desirable. You know, they can't really be that big without the the advantages that are afforded to them by regulations. But anyways, we're getting close to the end of the art uh, this uh, podcast. Uh, I don't actually want this one to be super long because I actually have to go out of town on um, Thursday. I'm going to go visit my family, uh, m my parents and whatnot for 4th of July. So I won't actually – so this episode is going to be posted on uh, on Wednesday, ideally. So – that being said, let's go ahead and hop into the article. There is more to BlackRock than you might imagine. A virtually unregulated investment firm today exercises more political and financial influence than the Federal Reserve and most governments on this planet. The firm BlackRock Incorporated, the world's largest asset manager, invests a staggering $9 trillion in client funds worldwide, a sum more than double the annual GDP of the Federal Republic of Germany. 
This colossus sits atop the pyramid of world corporate ownership, including in China most recently. Since 1988, the company has put itself in a position to de facto control the Federal Reserve, most Wall Street megabanks, and including Goldman Sachs, the Davos World Economic Forum, Great Reset, the Biden administration, and, if left unchecked, the economic future of our world. BlackRock is the epitome of what Mussolini called corporatism, where an unelected corporate elite dictates top-down to the population. How the world's largest shadow bank exercises this enormous power over the world ought to concern us. BlackRock, since Larry Fink founded it in 1988, has managed to assemble unique financial software and assets that no other entity has. BlackRock's Aladdin Risk Management System, a software tool that, that can track and analyze trading, monitors more than $18 trillion in assets for 200 financial firms, including the Federal Reserve and European Central Banks. He who monitors also knows, we can imagine. BlackRock has been called a financial Swiss army knife, institutional investor, money manager, private equity firm, and global government partner rolled all into one. Yet mainstream media treats the company as just another Wall Street firm. There is a seamless interface that ties the UN Agenda 2030 with the Davos World Economic Forum Great Reset and the nascent ec economic policies of the Biden administration. That interface is BlackRock. Team Biden and BlackRock. By now, it should be clear to anyone who bothers to look that the person who claims to be U.S. President, 78-year-old Joel Biden, is not making any decisions. He even has difficulty reading a teleprompter or answering prepared questions from friendly media without confusing Syria and Libya or even whether he is president. He is being micromanaged by a group of handlers to maintain a scripted image of a president while policy is made behind the scenes by others. It eerily reminds us of the 1979 Peter Sellers film character Chauncey Gardner in Being There. What is less public are the key policy persons running economic policy for Biden, Inc. They are simply said BlackRock. Much as Goldman Sachs ran economic policy under Obama and also Trump, today BlackRock is filling that key role. The deal apparently was sealed in January 2019 when Joe Biden, then candidate and long shot chance to defeat Trump, went to meet with Larry Fink in New York, who reportedly told working class Joe that I'm here to help. Now, as president in one of his first appointees, Biden named Brian Deese to be the director of the National Economic Council, the president's main advisor for economic policy. One of the early presidential executive orders dealt with economics and climate policy. That's not surprising as Deese came from Fink's BlackRock, where he was global head of sustainable investing. Before joining BlackRock, Deese held senior economic posts under Obama, including replacing John Podesta as senior advisor to the president, where he worked alongside Valerie Jarrett. Under Obama, Deese played a key role in negotiating the Global Warming Paris Accords. In the key policy post as Deputy Treasury Secretary Undersecretary Janet Yellen, we find Nigerian-born Adwello Wali Adeyemo. Adeyemo? I, th I think that's how you say his name. Anyways, Adeyemo also comes from BlackRock, where from 2017 to 2019, he was Senior Advisor and Chief Staff to BlackRock CEO Larry Fink after leaving the Obama administration. His personal ties to Obama are strong as Obama named him the first president of the Obama Foundation in 2019. And a third senior BlackRock person running economic policy administration is now is also unusual in several respects. Michael Pyle is the senior economic advisor to Vice President Kamala Harris. 
He came to Washington from the position as the global chief investment strategist at BlackRock, where he oversaw the strategy for investing some $9 trillion of funds. Before joining BlackRock at the highest level, he'd also been in the Obama administration as a senior advisor to the Undersecretary of the Treasury for International Affairs, and in 2015 became an advisor to the Hillary Clinton presidential bid. The fact that three of the most influential economic appointees of the Biden administration come from BlackRock and before that all from the Obama administration is noteworthy. There is a definite pattern and suggests that the role of BlackRock in Washington is far larger than we are being told. So what is BlackRock? Never before has a financial company with so much influence over the world markets been so hidden from public scrutiny. That's no accident. As it is technically not a bank making bank loans or taking deposits, it evades the regulation oversight from the Federal Reserve, even though it does what most mega banks like HSBC or JP Morgan Chase do, buy sell securities, securities for profit. When there was a congressional push to include asset managers such as BlackRock and Vanguard funds under the post-2008 Dodd-Frank law as systematically important financial institutions, or SIFIs, S-I-F-I, a huge lobbying push from BlackRock ended the threat. BlackRock is essentially a law unto itself, and indeed it is systematically important as no other with possible exception of Vanguard, which is said to also be a major shareholder in BlackRock. BlackRock founder and CEO Larry Fink is clearly interested in buying influence globally. He made former German CDU MP Frederick Merz head of BlackRock Germany when it looked as if he might succeed Chancellor Merkel and former British Chancellor of Exchequer George Osborne as political consultant. I, I have no idea what Exchequer, I'm, I'm probably Chancellor of Exchequer, I'm probably butchering that. So uh, yeah, keep that in mind. But anyways, continuing on. Fink named former Hillary Clinton chief of staff Cheryl Mills to the BlackRock board when it seemed certain Hillary would soon be in the White House. He has named former central bankers to his board and gone on to secure lucrative contracts with their former institutions. Stanley Fisher, former head of the Bank of Israel and also later vice chairman of the Federal Reserve, is now senior advisor at BlackRock. Philip Hildebrand, former Swiss National Bank president, is vice chairman at BlackRock, where he oversees the BlackRock Investment Institute. Jean Boyvin, the former deputy governor of the Bank of Canada, is the global head of research at BlackRock's Investment Institute. You kind of get to see the trend here, don't you? This is very, very concerning stuff. These individuals, this is this is what we talk about. We talk about the deep state. This is just the nature of the state in general. There are some people, you know, associate and call it the deep state, but it's not necessary. But it's just the it's the nature of the state, right? The more powerful the government becomes. Eventually, there will be individuals in the private sector who will receive lots of benefits and start to uh, bounce between government and the and the financial, the private market. And point of fact, these private market actors are in, are involved in organized crime, and yet they don't get accused because the politicians are benefiting from that crime. This is the problem with democracy. Some people say it's the problem with free markets. I don't know if I 100% agree with that statement. We'll get into that a little bit if we have time. But I don't know if I agree with the statement that it's free markets because these corporations didn't get this large on their own in a free market. We don't have a free market. We haven't had a free market for quite some time now. They have only gotten this size due to the regulations and the advantages that government has given them. And in my personal opinion, the reason that how they got the advantages is because of democracy. Democracy allows corporations to, for lack of a better term, to buy off 
the politicians and get them to do whatever they want. Lobbying, right? Contributing to campaigns. It's expensive to campaign. You can't do, you can't do federally funded campaigns where, well, now you don't need to receive contributions. The government just, oh yeah, so now every freaking taxpayer now funds the campaign. It's going to cause other problems. This is an issue with democracy. Kings and queens that had more wealth than the vast majority of people, more power than the vast majority of people, were not as susceptible to the temptation of being, of whoring themselves out to these corporations. Now, it's not to say that corporations didn't try to get the kings and queens to do stuff. Of course they did. It happened. But the kings and queens were never fully dependent on them. They had their own wealth. They could stay, and, and the, the power of the corporations stood in direct conflict with the power of the kings and queens, with the power of the monarchy. You know, actually, you see this a lot uh, when you start doing uh, research on the Medici family, the famous banking ru uh, ruling class family, the Medicis. You see a lot when you start researching them, the power struggle between the Medicis and monarchy. The, the, that was there. The banks didn't like monarchy because the banks themselves couldn't control them. And their power, the, the banking power, the power of the bank, effectively competed against the power of the government. And here we are. BlackRock is a bank. Now, do they, they don't function 100% like a normal bank does, but they are certainly a bank. They engage in investments. You know, they have clients that give them money to manage their investments, all kinds of stuff. They're not, now granted, they may not be a bank in the traditional sense where they have savings, but they might, they might actually have that just for certain select clientele, right? They're shadow bank. And once again, we got rid of the monarchies. Who's in control now? Banks, global institutions, corporations, globalists. Is it possible for a monarch to be a globalist? Could be. Yeah. Yeah, more, it could be. But if a monarchy was in favor of globalism, they're basically in favor of killing their own power, right? A monarch, ideally, would probably be a bit of a nationalist in a way, you know, not interested in give, ceding their power to other people. But anyways, let's get back into this. I mean, that, yeah, <laughs> I'm getting into my, my whole, uh, you know, philosoph political philosophical stuff. But anyways, here we go. BlackRock and the Fed. It was this ex-central bank team at BlackRock that developed an emergency bailout plan for Fed Chairman Powell in March 2019 as financial markets appeared on the brink of another 2008 Lehman crisis meltdown. As a thank you, the Fed Chairman, Jerome Powell, named BlackRock in a no-bid role to manage all the Fed's corporate bond purchase programs, including bonds where BlackRock itself invests. Conflict of interest? I think so. A group of some 30 NGOs wrote to Fed Chairman Powell by giving BlackRock full control of this debt buyout program. The Fed makes BlackRock even more systematically important to the financial system. Yet BlackRock is not subject to the regulatory scrutiny of even smaller systematically important financial institutions. In a, de in a detailed report in 2019, a Washington nonprofit research group, Campaign for Accountability, noted that BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, implemented a strategy of lobbying, campaign contributions, and revolving door hires to fight off government regulation and establish itself as one of the most powerful financial companies in the world. The New York Fed hired BlackRock in March 2019 to manage its commercial mortgage-backed securities program and 
its $750 billion primary and secondary purchases of corporate bonds and ETFs in no-bid contracts. U.S. financial journalist Pam and Russ Martins, in critiquing the murky 2019 Fed bailout of Wall Street, remarked, for the first time in history, the Fed has hired BlackRock to go direct and buy up to $750 billion in both primary and secondary corporate bonds and bond ETFs, exchange-traded funds, a product of which BlackRock is one of the largest purveyors in the world. They went on, adding further outrage. The BlackRock-run program will get $75 billion of the $454 billion in taxpayers' money to eat the losses on its corporate bond purchases, which will include its own ETFs, which the Fed is allowing it to buy. Fed heads Jerome Powell and Larry Fink know each other well, apparently. Even after Powell gave BlackRock the hugely lucrative, no-bid, go-direct deal, Powell continued to have the same BlackRock manage an estimated $25 million of Powell's private securities and investments. Public records show in this time Powell held directly confidential phone calls with BlackRock CEO Fink. According to required financial disclosure, BlackRock managed to double the value of Powell's investments from the year before. No conflict of interest or dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I added the dot, dot, dot. Clearly, there's a conflict of interest there. They're all in bed with each other. It's, uh, it's obvious for anyone who wants to uh, acknowledge it, right? So anyways, a very black rock in Mexico. So this is actually where it gets issued. These two, the next two sections here is where it's going to talk about Mexico. And then to round it off, it's going to talk about the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. So let's go ahead and, you know, continue on. BlackRock's murky history in Mexico shows that conflicts of interest and influence building the leading with leading government agencies is not merely restricted to just the U.S. The PRI presidential candidate Pina Nieto went to Wall Street during his campaign in November 2011. There he met Larry Fink. Which, what followed the Nieto victory in 2012 was a tight relationship between Fink and Nieto that was riddled with conflict of interest, cronyism, and corruption. Most likely to be certain BlackRock was on the winning side in the corrupt new Nieto regime. Fink named 52-year-old Marco Antonio Slim Domit, billionaire son of Mexico's wealthiest and arguably most corrupt man, Carlos Slim, to BlackRock's board. Marcos Antonio, along with his brother, Carlos Slim Domit, run the father's huge business empire today. Carlos Slim Domit, the eldest son, was co-chair of the World Economic Forum Latin America in 2015 and currently serves as chairman of the board of America Moville, where BlackRock is a major investor. Small, cozy world, isn't it? The father, Carlos Slim, at the time named by Forbes as the world's richest person, built an empire based around his sweetheart acquisition of Telemex, later America Moville. Then-President Carlos Salinas de Guterri, in effect, gifted the telecom empire to Slim in 1989. Salinas later fled Mexico on charges of stealing more than $10 billion from the state coffers. As with much in Mexico since 1980s, drug money apparently played a huge role with the elder Carlos Slim, father of BlackRock director Marco Slim. In 2015, WikiLeaks released company internal emails from the private intelligence corporation Stratford. Stratford writes in an April 2011 email, the time BlackRock is establishing its Mexico plans, that U.S. DEA Special Agent William F. Dion confirmed Slim's ties to the Mexican drug cartels. Stratford asked Dion, Billy is the MX Mexican billionaire, Carlos Slim linked to the narcos. Dion replies, regarding your question, the MX telecommunication billionaire is... 
In a country where 44% of the population lives in poverty, you don't become the world's richest man in just two decades selling Girl Scout cookies. Think in Mexican PPP. With Marco Slim on his BlackRock board and new presidential Enrique Pene Nieto, Larry Fink's Mexican partner in Nieto, in Nieto Pene's $590 billion public-private partnership, that's what PP, uh, PPP, alliance, BlackRock was ready to reap the harvest. To fine-tune his New Mexico operations, Fink named former Mexican Undersecretary of Finance Gerard Rodriguez Rigardosa to direct BlackRock emerging market strategy in 2013. Then in 2016, Pene Nieto appointed Isaac Volin, then head of BlackRock Mexico, to be number two at Pemex, P-E-M-E-X, where he presided over corruption scandals and the largest loss in Pemex history, $38 billion. Pina Nieto had opened the huge oil state monopoly, Pemex, to private investors for the first time since nationalization in the 1930s. The first to benefit was Fink's BlackRock. Within seven months, BlackRock had secured $1 billion in Pemex energy projects, many as the only bidder. During the tenure of Pina Nieto, one of the most controversial and least popular presidents, BlackRock prospered by the cozy ties. It soon was engaged in highly profitable and corrupt infrastructure projects under Pina Nieto, including not only oil and gas pipelines and wells, but also including toll roads, hospitals, gas pipelines, and even prisons. Notably, BlackRock's Mexican friend Pina Nieto was also friends not only with Carlos Slim, but with the head of the notorious Sinaloa cartel, El Chapo Guzman. In court testimony in 2019 in New York, Alex Alex Cifuentes, a Colombian drug lord who was has described himself as El Chapo's right-hand man, testified that just after his election in 2012, Pina Nieto had requested $250 million from the Sinaloa cartel before settling on $100 million. We can only guess what for. Larry Fink and the World Economic Forum Great Reset. In 2019, Larry Fink joined the board of the Davos World Economic Forum, the Swiss-based organization that for some 40 years has advanced economic globalization. Fink, who is close to the World Economic Forum's technocratic head, uh, Klaus Schwab of, of Great Reset Notoriety, now stands positioned to use the huge weight of BlackRock to create what is potentially, if it doesn't collapse before, the world's largest Ponzi scheme. ESG corporate investing. Fink, with $9 trillion to leverage, is pushing the greatest shift of capital in history into a scam known as ESG investing. The unsustainable economy agenda is being realized quietly by the very same global banks which have created the financial crisis in 2008. This time, they are preparing the Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum Great Reset by steering hundreds of billions and soon trillions in investment to their hand-picked woke companies and away from the not-woke, such as oil and gas companies or coal. BlackRock, since 2018, has been in the forefront to create a new investment infrastructure that picks winners or losers for investments according to how serious that company is about ESG, which is Environment, Social Values, and Governance. For example, a company gets positive ratings for the seriousness of its hiring gender-diverse management and employees, or takes measures to eliminate their carbon footprint by making their energy sources green or sustainable to use the UN term. How corporations contribute to a global sustainable governance is the most vague of the ESG and could include anything from corporate donations to Black Lives Matter to supporting UN agencies such as WHO. Oil companies like ExxonMobil or coal companies, no matter how clear, are doomed as Fink and friends now promote their financial great reset or Green New Deal. This is why he cut a deal with the Biden presidency in 2019. Follow the money.
And we can expect that the New York Times will cheer BlackRock on as it destroys the world financial structures. Since 2017, BlackRock has been the paper's largest shareholder. Carlos Slim was second largest. Even Carl Icahn, a ruthless Wall Street asset stripper, once called BlackRock an extremely dangerous company. I used to say, you know, the mafia has a better code of ethics than you guys. And that's the end of the article. Again, this was written by F. William Engdahl, who was a strategic risk consultant and lecturer. He holds a degree in politics from Princeton University and is a best-selling author on oiling and geopolitics exclusively for the online magazine New Eastern Outlook. He This article was originally posted in Lou, at lourockwell.com. Again, I will post both of the links in the descriptions as well. So you guys have access to it whenever you want to go read it and, and whatnot. But yeah, so that's the article. And um, basically, it's just another example of the deep state. Right. But it is rather concerning. BlackRock has its members, its employees in the in the government today. They and this is part of the deep state. This is part of the over, you know, just again, it's just the nature of the state. When you have a government that has that much power and you have politicians that serve not for life and they and even if they did serve for life, they are not they're not the owners of the government they don't have direct ownership of the government itself not like a monarchy did they they, they don't own the government they're just a caretaker so even if they were there for 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 life it, it wouldn't fix the problem right the problem is that they are in the interest they being the politicians and the corporatists the cor the, the people that come from private industries and they actually work in the government they, they hop around between the two they're all interested in leeching from the system as much as they possibly can to enrich themselves and to give themselves more power. The government, Democratic and Republican governments are basically organized crime masquerading as legitimate. That's how I view them. They're organized crime. The vast majority of them are criminals. Okay? Sure, are there some politics out there who are principled and good? Yeah, okay, fine, sure. Uh, you know? But that does not make up for the vast majority of them only being interested in, in themselves and taking money. You see, we as uh, libertarians as a whole, and I, I don't particularly do this, but I used to, right? We tend to focus on government as being the number one problem in society. We tend to constantly talk about how it needs to be fixed. Something needs to be done. We need to, uh, you know, engage in the political system. We need to get better people in politics, get a better person, a libertarian as a president, yada, 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 right? Fact of the matter is that'll never happen because the ruling class, these massive financial corporations, other non-financial corporations that are big enough to influence government, They'll never allow government to do what it really, what, what is right. And the government, and, and before you start accusing the corporations, because I know there's lots of left-wing individuals out there who will do that. It's not as though the corporations are doing this, you know, on their own. The government is enabling them, allowing them, encouraging them to do it. The government, if, you, if the government didn't have power, the corporations wouldn't be going there. But here's the thing. Because that's what a lot of anarcho-capitalists will say. If the government wasn't there and it didn't have power, it's a power broker. Take away the power broker and the power goes away. The problem is solved, right? No. No, that's not true. Corporations, okay, will find another method. 
if they can't control society to benefit themselves, they will find another method in order to do this. And they may even have their own military forces if there's no government to stop them from doing things of that nature. Who knows what big corporations will do? It's dangerous, right? Look, I mean, I like the initial idea of anarcho-capitalism, okay? I I like that initial idea. I've never subscribed to anarcho-capitalism, but a lot of the ideas are free market oriented and I like that. But at the same time, I can see how in the absence of government, some of these big corporations probably wouldn't get the size that they were. However, because of, because of competition, right? But what would prevent corporations, the ones that get big enough, right? What would prevent them from, from start collectively bargaining together in the marketplace to start controlling their industry? which then limits the choices of other people. I don't know. I don't know what would happen, but I I fear that an anarcho-capitalist society wouldn't work out the way that a lot of people think it would because there are genuinely people who have companies, who are running companies. Maybe they didn't create it. Maybe they're not the owner. A lot of these corporations, the owners no longer exist anymore. They died, they died, they're gone. Most of the time, That's the case. So now they're just being managed by a bunch of people who, frankly, are only using the institution to accomplish their own goals, whether that be political, ideological, or just financial. The point is, is that the institution is being used, the corporation is being used to effectively control people, to move the world in the direction it wants the world to move in because it benefits them to do so, you got coal, you got shadow banking institutions like BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, Vanguard, some of the biggest financial institutions in the world, BlackRock being the biggest in the world, certainly the biggest when it comes to managing money. These companies, these shadow banks operate without oversight from, from government policies. They, they are not regulated as much as other corporations. Even if they were regulated, it wouldn't matter. The regulations would only benefit them because they're so wealthy, nobody would be able to enact a regulation that actually hurts them. They would merely lobby. Again, what are politicians? They're whores. They're effectively whores for votes. They're whores for money, for their campaigns. Anybody can buy them. That's what they are. Sorry if it's a bit more, if that's a, a crude analogy. I don't, I don't mean it to be a crude analogy. Maybe I should figure out a better analogy. But I think, in my most humble opinion, it certainly, okay, paints the, the accurate picture of what they really are. They're mercenaries. I don't know. Again, I think whores is the best way to describe them. They are. They whore themselves out for money for their contribu- their campaign contributions, and they whore themselves out for votes. That's what they do. The votes is, is, is largely not really, you, you need to more focus on where the money is coming from for these politicians. Focus on the money and you'll know where the real power resides. The power resides in massive corporations having financial, you know, the, the, the financial ability 
to pay off politicians, to get certain politicians to win in democratic elections. See, this is actually why that these corporations, they love democracy. This is why so many people love democracy. It's so, it's such a heavily and easily manipulated system. And it's relatively new in human history. To add insult to injury, it's new. It ha- it's not, re- and it's it not showing to work. It doesn't work. It didn't work when it was tested by the Greeks. When they implemented it, it didn't work. Why did we think it was going to work here? Sure, the founding fathers, I understand the, the idea. Some Christians had the idea that democracy is a uniquely Christian system in where you are, you ultimately are governed by God himself and by living your life as God would have you live and not having some king on earth tell you how to live. So you elect politicians, things of this nature. But again, I fail to see in theory that 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 is still just monarchy in my opinion it's just your king is god and not some king on earth and ideally that is the best system is that king our king needs to be god himself because he's perfect he he doesn't suffer from the sins of human nature but that's not what we have today ladies and gentlemen and frankly uh, I don't, I don't know. A system like that is probably where the, the society only operates off of, of God and whatnot and, and, and monitor and basically moderates itself as such could probably only work under a small culturally homogenous community, right? Probably doesn't work in a grand, on a grand scale because not everybody wants to follow God. There might be some of you listening today that you don't even want like that kind of stuff. You probably hate it when I talk about Christianity and God. That's fine. You don't have to like it. If it bothers you that much, there's plenty of other shows for you to go listen to for free. You don't have to listen to me. I'm not going to apologize. I don't care. You don't like it? Suck it up, buttercup. You're here from your own personal choices. You're here because you personally choose to be here. You don't like some of the things I say? Go somewhere else. You don't need to be here. Why are you wasting your time listening to someone you don't even like to listen to? Right? Now, maybe you're like, well, Matthew, I like most of what you say. I just don't like that stuff. Okay, well, then don't complain. You're making the choice. No one else is holding a gun to your head saying, you must listen to Matthew Spazzini. (laughs) No one's doing that. Okay? If you're here, don't whine, don't complain about it. But the fact of the matter is, is that, again... I'm a Christian. That's how, that's all what I believe in. But the idea of democracy, I've heard, was a uniquely Christian, uh, you know, system. Now, granted, the system I think I described was actually more of an anarcho-capitalist system where you don't have any government. But that kind of comes out of democracy because demo- that was sort of the justification for democracy in some ways. God was our king. We don't need a king. We can elect politicians to ultimately serve in on our behalf. And to create a system that is just and ultimately is uh, prosperous for everyone. And those politicians would have to be adhere to God and would be responsible to God. Now, everyone is responsible to God, whether you believe it or not. But the fact is, is that was the general idea behind democracy. I don't know if it was a uniquely Christian system originally or not. I have a feeling that the Greeks were the first known, uh, you know, society to really implement democracy, and I don't think they were Christian, okay? Now, I don't know for sure. I haven't done research on it. Don't take my word for it. What I will say is this. 
okay? Adding more power to government isn't going to solve the problem. Taking power away from government might help, but the corporations that are so big and powerful, they might find another way anyways. So what are we to do? Right? I'm kind of painting a no-win scenario, aren't I? That's kind of how it sounds. It certainly is how it came across to me when I heard that scenario sort of be painted for me. I mean, no one really painted that for me. I kind of, I, got, I painted it for myself when I was listening to other podcasts, which is why I decided to do an episode like this. Because uh, I thought it would, I thought it would be beneficial. It keeps you guys informed, right? In the end, again, like I talked about at the beginning of the episode, for like 17 minutes or however long it was, we need to become independent from the system. The system is designed to make us comfortable. It's designed to make us lazy, compliant. It's designed to make us into slaves. It wasn't intent. I don't think it was originally intended for that purpose, but that's what it's developed into today. And we are part of a dying and the, the system is dying. A new system is coming that is more than likely not going to be better than the one that we already had. And the one we already had was garbage to begin with. But well, not to begin with. I mean, originally, when the Founding Fathers came, I think they had good intentions. And I think it, it may have worked for a time. But look, the system that's coming, great the great reset, I don't know if they'll be successful. I hope and pray to God that they won't. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have enough power and money to stop it, to confront it. All I can do is talk out and speak out against it on this show and to create content against it and try to sway public opinion, make you aware of it and get you to share it and get you to, you know, more or less spread the message that people should be looking out for this. But you know what? The, the, the progressives, the left, the ones who fall for this stuff, hook, line, and sinker will just accuse us of being conspiracy theorists. Their minds are already closed off. They won't listen. There's no point in even trying to get them to listen. It's We just need to focus on people that are either on the fence or already agree. And we just need to make them aware of what's going on. But the only way, make no mistake, to get about to get out of this and to try to prepare you, your life as much as possible. And all the preparation could be for not, for all I know. But I believe it gives us the best fighting chance is to start controlling the source of our income. Start there. Okay, find something that you love, get, develop a valuable skill in the area that you love, and then start selling courses, start uh, engaging it, start selling products and services, whatever. There's a million and one ways. Don't come to me and tell me, tell me, Matthew, I don't know what I would do. That's your fault. You don't know what you would do because you never actually sat down and to think about it. You never really put a lot of effort into it. Maybe you did a couple times, but if you still haven't figured it out, you haven't put enough effort. If you put enough effort, you'll find out. You'll find something that you think would be fun and, and cool to do. You haven't found out because you haven't put enough effort into it. That's your fault. I know life is busy. Frankly, I don't care how busy your life is because you know what? My life is busy. I, I complain about it all the time. I never have enough time, but you know what? The truth is I have more time than what I like to admit to myself. There's a lot more time that I have. And if I just used it better, I'd be in a better position than where I am today. Like today, I woke up early 
I usually sleep in. I woke up early to do a show while my daughter was still sleeping. By the time that I'm done recording this, I'll go get her up. I'll take care of her. And during her naps, I'll work on editing this. My goal is to record and edit all in the same day. Today, it's not, it hasn't been implemented perfectly, but I'm trying. Hopefully I'll be able to finish it off today. If not, tomorrow will be the day that I prop, that I finish it off. But that's a lot better than what I did last week. Last week, I slept in till 10 almost every day. My daughter wakes up around that time. Eh, about 9 or 10, kind of depends on the day. And that's it. My morning's gone. And then she takes two naps throughout the day, right? They're usually about an hour each. Sometimes it's just one nap, two, one, two hour. But the fact of the matter is just, look, we have time. It's really an energy problem. We don't have a lot of, we, we don't have a lot of energy. Our diets are garbage. My diet is garbage. I can tell you that right now, but it makes me feel good. I'm an emotional leader. We all are, right? Everybody has emotions with regards to the food. How many times have you ever eaten something that just makes you go, oh, it was so good. I want it again, right? Release that dopamine in your brain. We all are, a lot of times our problems, ladies and gentlemen, I guess this is what I'm really trying to get at, is our own fault. The issues that we have are caused by us, numero uno right? Number one, us. We cause the, mo the most problems in our life that we have. Sure, there are some that are not caused by us, of course, but our reactions to those issues influences the outcome of those, of those events, and a lot of times our reactions are not that great, which leads the outcome to be even worse, okay? The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is while we have no control over the system that presides over us, and that's really the thing I want to get just really... Uh, imprint on your mind today is we don't have control over it. Focus, we need to focus on what we do have control over. We have control over how we spend our days, how we spend our nights, how we interact with our families, right? We have control over some aspect, a lot of our lives. I think we have control over more about our lives than what we think we do, but we tend to focus on stuff that we don't have control over because then it, it it takes away the responsibility of us having to do anything about it because it's like, well, I can't do anything about it. You know, it's a victimhood mentality. That's what a victimhood mentality is. Constantly focusing on things that you have no control over, constantly complaining about it because you know you can't fix it and it takes responsibility away from you. But the fact of the matter is that your life, you have a lot more control over your life than what you think you do, Okay. All it takes is for the initial decision to be made to change things and then action to creating a plan that you lay out so that you adhere to regardless of your emotions, okay? Uh, at least you try to. You create a plan to change that and then you take action, further action to enact that plan. That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you get out of this. Is it going to be perfect? No, it's not. Nothing in this world is. Perfection is not long for this world, ladies and gentlemen. But it's something that we need to do. Because if we don't, we're just going to be slaves to somebody else. There's only two classes of people in this world. And this is a constant. It is a law of humanity. It cannot be denied. Whether you want to admit it or not, it will always be there. There are the rulers, and then, then there are those that are ruled. You are either going to be a master or you're going to be a slave. Which one you want to be? I'd rather be a master, right? I'd rather not be a slave. I'd rather not have no choices. 
I'd rather not be controlled by other people, other sinful people. I'd rather not. Given the choice, I'd rather not. Right? But that's your choice. Okay? And I know it might sound hypocritical because I'm, I'm a monarchist. Look, ideally, I would, want, I would want a monarchy to respect the natural rights of human beings. Right? God-given rights. That's what I would want the, a monarch to do. But historically, that was not always the case. I'm just saying that if you have a system, and I don't think anarcho-capitalism would actually work, at least it wouldn't work in the way that a lot of ANCAPs think it would work, in my opinion. But if you had a, if you have to have a government, okay, then I think a, a monarchy would be best. Obviously, a decentralized monarchy would be the best solution where it's not, you don't have a whole king or queen who, you know, rules over the entire United States. Not, not that large. You have a king or queen who, who rules over a small piece of land. Like, I don't know, a city, a town. And no one controls the king or queen, mind you. They're the ones in power. Now, is that actually going to be possible? Is it actually going to work in practice? I don't know. Maybe we enact kings and queens today that have absolute control. Not democracy, not democratically, not a uh, constitutional monarchy, but absolute monarchy. Okay? Absolute monarchs. Is it true that if we have an absolute monarch that they won't be controlled by some massive corporation or some outside influence? I, I, do, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the monarch, the whole idea of monarchy doesn't work. I think I like the idea of it. I think it would has a better chance of working. Right? I think it does. But I do know this. I want to have as much freedom as I possibly can. Okay? I I I would like to be not controlled. Right? And if I, if I can reduce the amount of control of the amount of people who have control over my life, that's that's great. Maybe it's impossible to be truly free where no one controls you. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's impossible. Unless you're like super wealthy and even then, maybe the wealthy people have people that can that that are influencing them and kind of moving them in a certain direction. I don't know. What I know is this. I like freedom like the idea of freedom, like the idea of liberty, and I want to live my life in peace and prosperity, and ultimately just, I want to live my life how I see fit, okay? And I want to reduce the amount of control that others have on my life, that other institutions, that other people, whatever. I want to reduce the amount of control, okay, I'm going to say it again, that other people have on my life as much as I possibly can. Maybe there is a certain point where someone is always going to have control. Okay, in the form of a government or something like that. Okay, fine. But I'm still going to reduce it as much as I possibly can. Be as independent as much as I possibly can. Not be as reliant as much as I possibly can. You get the idea. All right? It's, it's just, that's the goal. I hope that if you're here today, you agree with that goal. You agree with me that this is what we should do. The, the answer is not through politics. The answer is to become as wealthy and as powerful as we possibly can without, okay, with a caveat, without throwing our families and our loved ones aside. Because what, what good is it to achieve all that wealth and all that power? You can't take it with you when you die. 
Do you really want to live in a tumultuous world, a world of chaos where you have a lot of power and control, but you have no loved ones, no family to enjoy it with? That's a pretty torturous life, if you ask me. So we need to try to achieve as much power and wealth and control as we can, but not by throwing away our families, not by throwing away our loved ones. That is not how you do it. On top of that, you know, if you are a Christian, you know, do not love money. Love uh, The love of money is the root, not the cause, but the root of all kinds of evil, of evil okay? That does not mean that money is evil. It's just, it can be the, it's the root of all kinds of evil. We need to make sure not to overly obsess about this pursuit. There are other things in life that are more important. It is not at the end all be all. We need to pursue God. We need to pursue our relationship with God. That is way more important than pursuing money and power because God is at the control and is at the helm of everything, right? But I do believe that God has given me the, opened my eyes to things I've never been I was never open to before. And I believe that he has done that on purpose to help me save my family, to help me move my, you know, our life in the direction it needs to be to help preserve our freedom. I I genuinely believe that. I might be wrong, but, you know, I don't, I believe that nothing happens accidentally. There's no coincidences. Everything happens according to the way that God wants it to. Okay? Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. Sometimes we know why. Sometimes we don't. But everything that happens in life is allowed to happen by God. And as a result of that, okay, as a result of that, we need to pursue God because he's the ultimate arbiter, the ultimate control of this world. You can make plans to become rich and wealthy all you want. If God is not at the center of your life, none of it's going to matter. If God is not going to allow you to be successful for whatever reason, then none of it's going to matter. God needs to be at the center of it all. And I think we can achieve the wealth, the power, the influence. But the only way we can do that is by focusing on God and making him the center of our life. Now, I'm not trying to say that God, I'm not a fan of the prosperity, you know, version of Christianity that says that, well, if you believe in God, he'll make you rich. Where in the Bible does it say that? It's not true at all. Just because you are a Christian does not mean bad things are not going to happen to you. It does not mean that God is going to make you rich. There's a ton of really, really poor Christians out there. Okay? That isn't true. But God gives us the choice. Just like he gives us the choice to believe in him. And you may not believe in the free choice there. You might, be, you might believe in predestination or whatever. But again, God gives us a choice. With believing in him, he also gives us a choice as to how wealthy and, and, and how powerful we become in this world. He gives us a choice, right? I think that we, and what I'm saying, we don't need to become wealthy enough. We don't have to become super wealthy, like enough to control the world. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that become wealthy enough to where we can ultimately escape this kind of stuff, ensure our freedoms. That doesn't mean becoming so, uh, you know, tr- you know, 
trillionaires or whatever, it doesn't mean becoming so powerful to the point of controlling the world. Okay, now if, hey, if God puts that on you, then great, be a good person and move the world towards, towards a freer and more prosperous life for the vast majority of people, right? But currently, I don't know if that's, that's the case. It certainly doesn't seem like that, but hey, we should try to pursue that stuff. Okay, pursue, pursue God first and foremost, pursue family, and then pursue wealth, power, influence, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera, right? If nothing else, let's try at the base level. If we never achieve any of super powerful stuff, let's just try to increase our wealth so we're less dependent on corporations. Let's try to at least increase our autonomy. And let's try and become financially free or we control where our money's coming from. That will f give us a massive amount of freedom just in doing that alone. And you don't have to be a millionaire. You can make $120,000 a year. You can make more than that. If you control your, where your money's coming from, you can also increase the cost or increase the price of your products and services as, you know, monetary devaluation sets in, as inflation causes, you know, increases and causes more monetary devaluation, which is prices rising, right? So again, I, I want, I, I, this message is very hard because as a Christian, I don't believe that we should pursue, we shouldn't love money. We shouldn't love power. The Bible is very clear. Do not lust after power. Do not lust after money. When I think of lust, I think of an obsession, right? More than merely just a desire or more than merely just a goal. I think it's more deeper than that. It's more of like an, an obsession about it, okay? And as a result of that, do not lust after it. Not bad to have it as a goal. Not bad to have it as something you aspire to. But you need to balance that. Don't let it de devolve into lust and obsession because that will destroy your life. That's not what we want. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, this episode has gone way longer than I ever intended it to. Of course it did. I had a lot to talk about and I rambled and got on lots of rants. But hey, I thought it was a great episode despite all that and uh, a lot of great stuff that we talked about today. And uh, hey, I'm happy that you guys show up here each and every week. It makes me, it, it really makes me happy to know that there, you guys like to listen to me. You know, for a long time when I first started this, I'm like, no one's going to want to listen to me. You know, who's going to want to listen to me ramble? I get off track on topics. I do that in my own personal life all the time. Who's going to want to listen to me? Well, it turns out you guys, <laughs> it turns out there are people, but I figured I'm never going to know if I don't try. So that's when I created the podcast and, um, yeah. And you guys are, you come here every week, every week. That's, I, I love that. Thank you so much. You you enrich my life just by being here. When I see the download numbers and I see you guys coming here every week, I'm like, and I see the kind of different countries that you guys are from. That's amazing. That's so cool. I want to get to know you guys more, however. So if you want to join my group for this podcast, it's totally free. You don't have to pay me anything. Um, go join me at locals.com, right? I put it at the top of each episode follow Matthew at locals.com. Come join me. I try to post things regularly. It's probably the, the area that I'm, it's probably the social media account that I'm most active in. Okay. It's just for my group, just for this show. You like what I'm saying. You like that stuff. Come be a part of locals.com. I think you can post things. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. I'm going to have to definitely check on that. So far, I'm the only one who's been posting stuff in that in, in there, but um, it is a growing community though. 
we are getting people to join. So if you guys are loving this episode, you're or just not this episode, but the show, and you're coming here every week, I'd like to get to know you more. Go join locals.com. Be a part of the community that's there. And uh, we can create a pretty cool community. So anyways, with that said, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Do me a couple of favors. If you like the episode, make sure to like and subscribe on any platform that you're on. Make sure to, sh- and but and make sure to go to iTunes, leave me a rating and review. This really, really helps the show become more visible because the more we get, the more we appear on rankings. And on top of that, also do me a favor and make sure to share the show. The most important thing you can do, if you love the ideas of living the liberty lifestyle, if you love this idea of Austrian economics, free markets, all that kind of stuff, and you you love all of it, then make sure to share the show, okay? I always ask you, share it on social media and share it with three friends. I mean, odds are, if you like it, somebody else is going to like it in your life. You're not the only person in your life that's going to enjoy it. So make sure to share it with three friends. Share it with one person that you're not really sure it's going to 100% like it, but you know they need to hear the message. You know they need to hear what I'm saying in the episodes. If you have a particular episode, send it to a friend again, and then share it with two people you know are going to love it. All right? And hey, thank you so much. For those of you who do that, thank you so much for doing that. I mean, it really helps to grow the show. We're, we're, we're very much still in our infancy here, and but we're going to grow and we're going to be huge. We're going to grow this movement of liberty loving individuals who are pursuing the liberty lifestyle. You know, that's, that's what I call it, right? A life of autonomy, a life of independence, as much as we can humanly get. Ladies and gentlemen, I think that's worth living for. Right? I think it's, I think it's absolutely worth living for. I think it's well in line with the Christian values of, you know, being as independent as you can so that the only one you really have to worry about and their authority on you is, is really God. And it, you know, things of that nature. So, anyways, with that said, we need to create it in our own personal life, the freedom and liberty. You guys love that. Share it, spread the word, get it out there. All right. But thank you so much for doing that ahead of time. And thank you for so much for being here every week. You guys are absolutely amazing. I love each and every one of you. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys next week. So hey, know the risks, plan accordingly. Have a great week. Hey, 